Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? So good, bro. <laughs> I'm really good. It's been just a fantastic weekend. I went golfing with the kids yesterday. Yeah, I saw the pictures of it. That looked horrifying, but you know, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I mean, it was, it was good, right? It's different, right? Golfing with your kids is not like grabbing a couple buddies and going and playing 18 holes so no it is a much different experience but we it was really sort of joyful i have to really remember to be positive and like allow them to make a billion mistakes where where i'm not sort of in their butts about it uh but as long as i can do those things which is hard easier said than done right yeah as long as i can do those things it is delightful do you think we won something? I don't think we've seen green tabs on this beer before. We did win something. Yeah, if you get the if we get the green tabs, that means you're the winner. Careful, it's going to spray a little bit. I got it on my face and the microphone. <laughs> How are you doing, I'm buddy? I'm good. It's uh it's I I just looked at my wrist like I was going to look at a watch, but as you guys all know, I don't wear a watch when we record. That's I don't true. have an answer for why. <laughs> uh I just set them down on the table and I don't even look at them. I don't I don't know. It's weird. Um but I'm I'm just in a weekend. I had a little, a little power nap this morning and I woke up and uh yeah, just and when you just, say a, when you say a power nap, you mean all of your sleep for the day was reduced to about a three and a half hour period. I, I got about five hours. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's better than normal. Uh, no, it wasn't five hours. Okay, I'm, I'm lying to you a lot. It was about three and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, so my my sleep cycle for today was three hours. Well, I'll tell you, you look amazingly alert. I mean, you really look attractive based on the fact that you've had three and a half hours of sleep. Yeah, you know, got a little bit of scruff going on. We're, we're doing our no shave fall. Part of our fundraiser, so I'm going to try growing a beard with everyone else to get made fun of. Uh, All right, I yeah. like your, I like your, I like your uh, optimism, your self esteem, your confidence. Well, we wear masks all the time, so <laughs> it's not like anyone's going to see right. it anyway. It's like, who cares? Yeah, who cares? Yeah, it's not going to make my my face look worse. We're well, sort of at like the the most and worst I will ever look. Like we're 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 in stasis here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so you're officially on your weekend now. Yeah, it's weekend freaking weekend yeah i'm gonna have me some fun gonna go to the asian market on my way home to get some msg no not not just msg i mean that's worth a stop for me yeah no we're gonna you know we've been cooking well so i say we my family has been cooking with msg pretty regularly and when i say my family me because my wife is still slightly horrified by it no matter how irrational the horror though though being horrified is but i had uh i had some popcorn yesterday not very much because i can't really eat popcorn but i had some popcorn yesterday with just melted butter tossed in melted butter i took a quarter cup of butter hell yeah melted for like it. eight kernels of popcorn no for a full dash but you, you know <laughs> it was butter to- soup tossed it in the butter and then salt and msg probably about five to one salt to msg and oh man I understand that uh, nutritional yeast also fills that same. Well, nutritional yeast has a glutamate. So when combined yeah. with salt, it actually it is huh. a monosodium glutamate. It it is the same. Uh, it is the same quote unquote fifth uh, flavor profile. I didn't know that. I just I the had somebody, mythical. I had somebody fifth. tell me that when they cut out cheese, they started using nutritional yeast to to scratch that itch. It is so good. Nutritional yeast on popcorn is good. It's a little bit. and It's not as good as MSG. There's just nothing as good as MSG. It can be a little funky. I will say that about nutritional yeast. It can be a little funky. I mean, I'm not going to try it. I'm an MSG kind of guy anyway. So All right. All right. You going to get some ramen when you go to the... Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the reason I'm going. That is the jam. So we, we, 
without further ado, we should get to it because we, we, we have we have a friend here on the show. Uh, we've got we've got kind of a special thing, right? Most of the time, we talk to brand owners that have released a watch. It's pretty rare. I will say this: I don't think we've ever done this before. Yeah, we're, we're announcing it. We're, we're well, not announcing well, per I se. I am, <laughs> but it's. I don't think we've ever had an owner come on the show before their watch has been released. Oftentimes, it's really hard to gauge whether a watch is going to be cool. But I think both of us sort of agreed that what's happening here is, is cool. Is cool. Yeah. It is cool. Uh, so w- without further ado, we we have D.U. Wu. That all rhymes, which is fantastic. Like it, yeah. We have D.U. Wu of Soulless Watches on the line with us. D.U., how are you? Hi, guys. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And... It's good. Um, it's very exciting. Uh, and it's very, you know, um, I feel honored that I'm the first person here who is being interviewed before I release a watch. Um, and I'm very glad to hear that you guys think it's a cool watch. Well, well, we do. You, you know, we're going to get into the watch. We're going to get into uh, the, what you've done here with this Sola Starlight that we have in hand. We do have this in hand. Uh, I do. Well... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and we'll get into the watch a little bit, but before we do, uh, you've got a pretty interesting story. Uh, do you, uh, you, you know, in terms of geography and profession and, and just the, the basic story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, before we get into Solus and the watch, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah. Um, I think it is quite a, a quite of a, a diverse um, background because I've lived in four different countries. Um, I now most of the time I've grown up in Ireland, and I, Ireland is my home. I consider this my uh, when I when I think about going home, I think about returning to Ireland because I've lived here most of my life. So it's fair to say um, you're you're an, you're an Irishman. Oh yes, um, Irishman. I say Irishman by uh, passport. However, genetics still um, play a part in that. <laughs> I actually don't drink because when I drink, I, I'm the lightest lightweight uh, ever. I, I call myself a very cheap date. Uh, I we've heard we actually have heard that half, about you. That you're yeah, a cheap it used date. to be half a bottle. Of, uh, <laughs> um, it used to be half a bottle of West Coast Cooler. I think after uh, two years of like trying to train myself up, I'm up to a bottle and half of West Coast Cooler before I go to sleep. It's not even I get drunk. I, I, uh, I think one third of Asians just lack an enzyme to dissolve alcohol, break down alcohol properly. So once alcohol gets into my system, I just fall asleep. That sounds um, Before amazing. I even have a chance to get drunk. I mean, is it is it a pleasurable sleep, right? Because I know with some things, uh, they put me to sleep uh, faster than some other people, and and I would not generally go for that. I don't generally find that pleasurable. Do do is when you have a half a bottle of your West Coast cooler, is it is it a pleasurable pass out experience? No, and you know now nowadays my friends would all know that. Actually, D.U. is a lot more fun while he's awake and, and <laughs> just as energetic and crazy in, in the club as the rest of us. Whereas if I'm asleep, I'm, I'm no fun at all. I think the, the, one of the times was um, at a Thanksgiving dinner it, when I was in the U.S., living in the U.S., and um, my, my friends there just said, no, this is fruit punch. It's very light in alcohol. And I'm struggling at the Thanksgiving dinner to not sit at the table and fall asleep into my plate. So... <laughs> 
So I think <laughs> after that, people just realize that EU and alcohol just do not mix, unfortunately. That's, that's not a good combo. Well, that's that's fine. That's fine, too. Uh, and, and you know what? We, uh, we, we sometimes... I think just about always we drink on the show. So uh, there's zero peer pressure, though. You're you're safe in Ireland and you don't have to drink with us if you don't want. <laughs> I think you can drink double, for, you know, just to um, maintain the well, for pride for the Irish as well, because um, in Ireland, we, we joke that um, we give directions by pubs and by churches. So we have plenty of both. <laughs> Yeah, that that's funny because it's the type of thing that doesn't surprise me. Having never been to Ireland, it's the type of thing that doesn't surprise me that an Irish person would say. Now, uh, so born in China, you moved to the UK early in life, and, and then eventually wound up in Ireland. But you said there's a fourth country too. Yeah. Um. So actually, you know, during my university years, I spent a year in the US in Georgia, um, and studied in Atlanta for a year there, uh, had a great time. I really enjoyed seeing the U.S. Uh, actually, the best part of that was um, during Christmas, I took a cross-country trip riding a Greyhound bus Yikes. from Atlanta to San Francisco. Well, wonderful. <laughs> and, and that was all because, you know, people were saying, you're crazy. It costs the same to fly. Um, why would you take a bus and two and a half days of a trip there? And I just, I just wanted to see, you know, all of the U.S. and and to cross over and to experience the parts that you know a lot of people would fly over. Um, and it was great speaking to people on the bus and getting to know, getting to know them and to know, you know, what's it like in Texas, what's it like in Alabama and all of the rest of the states. That's that's wonderful. And, you know, I, I think that's something that sometimes gets lost when people talk about the United States. I think the United States has this inter international sort of homogeneity, uh, this this outward, uh, this outward expression of homogeneity. But it is really it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, the United States is uh, maybe as much as any other country in the world, a true melting pot of culture and and race as much of it's significantly greater than most any other country in the and, world and, and and so to not to have just ended up in atlanta which i will say in terms of cool diversity town. atlanta Ooh. is has has a lot right but to see you know like you said alabama and 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 certainly san francisco right you really i think that trip in particular you're going to get a, a great slice almost literally a slice of of what the United States is, yeah. Um, although uh, that time was, I think, in the news, it came out uh, the on the Greyhound bus they they had a in Canada, some guy decided to cannibalize and eat his fellow passenger oh. on a trip. So so I didn't tell my parents that um <laughs> actually I'm going to be taking a Greyhound trip for two and a half days across the U.S. But I did make sure to like you know introduce myself to the person sitting beside me and. If they need any medication or prompting, I'll be happy to remind them to, to take any pills in case the voice in their head says, you know, that, that, that seems like a reasonable approach to that to that particular concern. Just yeah. cover yourself in bug spray so you don't taste very good and call it a day. And and so professionally, professionally, I understand you're an attorney. Yeah. Um, although in, in Ireland and the UK, we define ourselves down into uh, solicitors and barristers. Sure. The people who go out to court. I think what you call, guys call the transactional 
for the litigation. That's exactly uh, that's exactly right. And um, I, I would be the transactional side. So we're in the boring offices and, um, you know, we make sure things don't go wrong. If we end up in court, something has gone wrong. Um, uh, but I, I do see, you know, it's quite funny that in the U.S. they have lots of signs saying no solicitors. So we don't, I don't feel very welcome in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't enjoy solicitors, I guess. <laughs> no, it, it's an interesting, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting concept. Because generally speaking, we have the same distinctions in the United States. We have transactional attorneys and, and litigators, like you said. Um, but it, it is very, very common for folks to do both, right? I am an attorney. I do both. I do both the the transactional side, the the solicitor side, and and the barrister side. Uh, I always thought I always thought the the etymology of the term barrister was interesting, uh, and and which is not to say anything's based on anything, but uh, it is literally an attorney who goes to the bar, which is that fictional place in the court. I always really liked that. Uh, aspect. So I am very much an attorney who does both, uh, fr- freely and and by not reputation. for free. Just just to be well, that's right. That. It yeah. is not for free, uh, but by reputation, I am known as a transactional guy who will will go to the mats when needed. So uh, we do not have those same sort of hard and fast distinctions. And I understand in the European courts, those distinctions are uh, starting to starting to get a little bit grayer around the edges as well. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, we've we've become very modernized. Um, we've uh, we've become very modernized, and I think five years ago we we stopped wearing the horse uh, horsehair wigs. Right. And and but you know you still as a barrister you'd be still deviling for a master. So it's all very archaic. Uh, some some of the terms can still be quite archaic. Um, they, they are getting dragged up into the modern day as well, though. Um, Real yeah. quick. Did you ever have to wear a wig? I mean, you say it was five years ago. Okay, I'm saying you say five years ago, and I I feel like that's maybe facetious, but I also, there's like a part of me that's saying, maybe it's not. It's not. No, it's not. Uh, Up until very, very recently, 2016 or 2015, uh, every single court in the UK, uh, if you were in court, you were wearing a horsehair wig. Yikes. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay. Robes, a wig. And of course, the history of the wig is actually very interesting as well because it is. that I think came about um, when was it Louis Fourteenth, Sixteenth, or one of the Louis um, lost all his hair due to syphilis, mm-hmm. and it became a, in, a kind of a, a in trend and in fashion thing to wear a wig because people back then just all had syphilis, <laughs> um, and this was when the courts were being decided, and then like they thought. Well, you know, to look a fashionable gentleman, you would need your robes and your wig. So that's why you have a wig. It all came from uh, STDs. Yeah, it's really <laughs> practical. That's how I lost my hair. And oddly enough, yeah, look around. <laughs> uh, so why watches? How, how, talk us through your journey into watches and then how we have one of your watches in front of us. It was in front of us. It is in front of us. I've got it right here. And how it's still here in front of us. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, I I think watches, um, the love of watches came about in college, uh, in university. And I first got my kind of proper, serious, mechanical watch. Um, 
as a uh, it was a cheap uh, ish, uh, although expensive for a university student, a 200 euro uh, Seagull M171S, which had a lovely, you know, the retrograde hands and an, an open heart that kind of looked like a tourbillon. Um, and, and, you know, it just fascinated me to see that, you know, even, even five, seven years ago, five, 10 years ago, already we lived in such a digital age that a wristwatch, a mechanical wristwatch of full of hundreds of gears and, and parts can be assembled and keep time to, you know, five, 10 seconds a day, which is, we, we don't demand that kind of accuracy out of almost anything that we generally encounter, especially analog, but a watch can do that and it can do it well and it doesn't cost a lot potentially. Um, so it's fascinating to have something that's ticking and moving uh, and you know, people say about the spirit of automatic and mechanical watches being that there's a spirit behind them uh, that you might not get say with an Apple Watch, which is you know great tech. But with a mechanical, I think it's one of the last things that we do we have that connects us to a really analog world as well. You know, we we talk to a lot of folks that that question that that quote unquote why watches question is a question that seems very obvious. We got it from our good friend AJ Barsay uh, of the Bellingham podcast. He's a Northwest guy, and you know he's co-hosted the show with us a couple of times. He's just a wonderful person, and he has a series called Why Watches. And so I always like to give credit to him because it's such an obvious question that sometimes doesn't get asked directly enough, I mm -hmm. think. Um, but that question, we we have asked that question or some form thereof to just about everyone who's been on the show. Uh, and, and I'll say we've talked to a couple of people who've come into this by way of that seagull route. And, and when mm -hmm. I say that, I, I want to clarify what I mean. You, you know, I think Siegel does something different than Seiko, perhaps, or, or Orient, or Casio, or even, you know, even perhaps Rolex or, or Omega. Um, you, you know, Siegel is doing high-end things in very, as you noted, in very affordable or relatively affordable packages. That watch that you're referring to with its open heart, and it's got sort of a luxurious you know, maybe an FP Journe type of feel, right? You're looking at a watch that looks like something that could be $10,000. And we don't hear that answer very often, but I think it's surprising. I think it's surprising that we don't see more of that. You're not saying, I, I found it SKX online and I was like, this is cool and I need it. What do you, how do you think that entry into the hobby uh, shaped your feelings uh, and your opinions about watches? Yeah, I think it definitely, you know, it was a very interesting uh, first dip. So as you, say, as you said, it, it wasn't uh, Seiko 5 that was, you know, and it wasn't uh, a Rolex being handed down to me as my first uh, mechanical, but rather it was something from China. And, you know, we, we do have, there's a, there's a, I mean, deserved a reputation of, there's a lot of, you know, sadly, fakes and clones and people who are making, um, you know, illegal and not for the right reasons that are going into what's coming from China. But equally, you know, do, do you, maybe less people have heard about the $50,000 seagull, which is, which has a minute repeater or the $80,000 seagull, which comes with an annual uh, perpetual calendar, minute repeater 
and erotic serious, uh, move yeah. serious hot horology stuff, right? People, you're you're right. Yeah, I don't think it, it's I don't think it's common knowledge that Siegel is a legit watchmaker. And they they are doing that. They have the one you know master watchmaker who sits down and hand makes these movements. And and uh, I I've toured the Siegel factory before because I just wanted to see where these watches were made and and uh, look inside the factory. It would have been you know one dream would be to meet this master watchmaker. He's, he's in his sixties, seventies now, and you know talk to him to see how he has also pushed forward the Chinese. Uh, movements, you know, from from what may be considered cheap and disposable to now they want to uh, build better quality watches. So we got to part of it. We got to your journey in. How did you get to where you are now? That you that we're wearing a watch that you have. I'm wearing a watch. Well, yeah. Well, my wrist's in there too. It's 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 a weird thing. You don't want to see the video. Uh, how did we get to there? So you so you buy this watch. You 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 see it. You love it. You wear it. There's a fascination there. You caught the bug in the same way that we all do. This kind of antiquated technology, but that's still cutting edge and more advanced than a lot of technology that than than we most people even realize. It's something that you, we absolutely don't need because everyone has a phone in their pocket. How did... So I know the journey. I, I know the bug that you caught. Where was that tipping point for you to say, you know what? I can, I can do this. I can... There's something missing in the affordable watch market and I know what it is and I know people are going to like it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I gave you the start of my journey and really, um, as my collection grew, and this was back when I was still a student, uh, a law student, so you know they're not earning much at all. So it, it would be my collection would be slowly building from, you know, citizens um, looking at some Russians, so the Vostoks, uh, the Vostok actually. actually. <laughs> oh, Vostok, yeah, the amphibious, and so on. Eventually, when I uh, you know started a, a nice job, I got myself uh, a speedmaster. It was, it was fantastic. Um, and you, when you're building that collection, eventually you see things that you you, you like and interesting um, complications and so on, and think, oh, that that would be nice. Something that I so pretty early on, I knew already micro rotors were something that oh that, they they've been around. In the past, they were in, you know, they were more ubiquitous, uh, you know, Universal Geneve with the pole router and yes. all of that. Um, yeah. So, but if you want, if you wanted a micro rotor uh, in the year 2000 or 2010 or 2020, it's pretty much going to be either you get a Patek or you get a Piaget or, or one of the really high-end Swiss, or you go onto eBay and you try and find a, an, a, an old UG, you know, one or one, you don't know if that's going to be working or so I, I thought well you know we really should have a different a third choice um, not just between either eBay a 70s 60s watch or uh, you know $20,000 watch so for me um, and, and because I 
like to follow Chinese movements and developments, I knew that Hangzhou had uh, released their movement. In fact, Seagull had released the movement as well, the ST4020, but they never released it um, re uh, on a commercial scale because they had problems on yeah. the rotor. And, and this is part of the technical reasons. Right. They, they did actually mount uh, a micro rotor in their, I think, $20,000 uh, gold tourbillon as well. So, you know, that's also kind of in the Swiss area of not being an affordable uh, micro rotor. So what I wanted by the end was actually, I think that is something that people, as a watch enthusiast myself, I wanted one. And that's why I then said, well, let's see, can I go and do it and make one for myself? After I made one for myself, I thought, well, I think other watch enthusiasts will also actually enjoy the same thing as well. And I think I have to say the, the, the journey and path to getting to um, launching Solus uh, was, hey, I bought a micro brand, a Borealis, a Seahawk, really lovely timepiece um, because a Pelagos was maybe a bit too expensive for me at the time. Sure. Although I bought the blue version before Tudor released their blue version. So, you know, the Tudor is a homage of the Seahawk. <laughs> but, uh, so that, that got me into microbrands saying, okay, microbrands are doing really interesting things. They can offer a lot of um, features for a lot less um, price. And, and that's great value. And, and you know, then actually with we, Hampton. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, sorry. Just with Hampton then. Uh, Hampton watches. They also released a titanium, the Hampton H2. That kind of really got me into understanding about crowdfunding. Because um, for me, you know, my day job is a law job. Um, I'm, I'm working quite a lot. <laughs> We've got long hours in law. But with crowdfunding, it allows people with a good, hopefully a good idea, to share that idea with others and say, you know, do you think that's a good idea? If you do, then let's try and kickstart this and get it made so that you can share and, you know, potentially get a pretty good price for, uh, for this product. And it allows people that with that idea to go forth and say, actually, um, actually, instead of uh, 20,000 needing 50,000, 100,000 to get started in the watch business, you might need only uh, a fraction of that to get yeah. started. We've talked about this a lot, and we've talked about this recently. I mean, we've had a couple of, of episodes actually dedicated to this idea, and those those episodes have been only modestly well-received because people have opinions about this crowd, crowdfunding uh, ideology. Um, I, I think we've generally... And Andrew, you can you can tell me if you think this is wrong. I think we've generally come to the consensus or or the opinion as a team here that micro brands create exactly this value that you're expressing right now, which is uh, the idea that we're going to create something that is maybe not universally loved, uh, that is not that is not marketable in the same way that Seiko creating a 38 millimeter dress version of the SKX might be, you know, that's easy, right? Seiko, they make a 38 or a 40 millimeter, you know, the dress, this dress KX watch that they release. And it's like, oh yeah, that's fucking easy and awesome. And everybody is going to buy it. And it's so low risk, but it's also not exciting. I mean, it's it's exciting, it, but it's, it's not exciting. it's not new. It's not innovative. That's right. So, so we we I think our consensus on this thing is that crowdfunding, like you say, 
really, really, this is a part of the industry. And, and as unfortunate as some of the side effects of crowdfunding might be, it's driving innovation in the watch world in a really important way. So uh, we're we're here for it, dude. Uh, we, we hear what you're saying, and and I think that's right. So why don't you why don't you do a little bit of just sort of introduction on this solace? And and I think we've been using a a, a big O or a hard O solace. And and I hear you say solace. That's fine. I appreciate that, and I understand there's some etymology there as well. So, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what the solace starlight is? What you're doing here? We know it's a micro rotor. Uh, it's more than that, but it's more than that. So tell us what the starlight is. Yeah. Um, so when it came to actually sitting down and saying to myself, you know, what do I want to build in a watch? One of the first things was, well, I'm from Ireland. I'm Irish. I want it to be an Irish watch and, and proudly and genuinely and authentically Irish as much as possible. Uh, and, and so, everybody tells us that you know, that's we hear that from every single person that uh, comes on the show about 25 irish watch brands that you're competing with to be authentically <laughs> irish i'm joking we're joking <laughs> obviously we're being obtuse but go ahead well actually um yeah we, we i did get some youtube comments saying like for for 300 dollars uh, or 400 dollars you'd think they at least put an irish movement into that watch as well yeah which, right you uh, all you're also i mean that's which, round two <laughs> <laughs> an Irish movement, but right? I, I did, you know, I, I was very, I was very, um, hopefully helpful to the gentleman, who, and I replied saying, you know, there aren't really that many um, Irish movements uh, made in Ireland. But if you would like to look at McGonagall watches, their, their uh, minute repeat, I think, goes for twenty thousand euros. So very you know, That would be a very made by an Irishman, Irish <laughs> uh, movement, um, and he makes two a year. <laughs> And, and they're beautiful, uh, but I think we're, we're not operating in the same kind of uh, expectations of price point and so on. So for, for me, first of all, I, I did want to make it a very Irish, and that's why with the Irish, uh, is, uh, I, I got my. Now I speak a bit of Irish myself. I, I've act, it's it's actually quite funny because I'm effectively I think on kind of the Irish equivalent of the SATs because people watch my Irish film in uh, in Irish uh, high school and they answer you know the state national exams about my film that I was acting in so people in Ireland know me as someone who was a semi-famous Irish actor in a short film all right so and, so hold on we've, we've got it you you've got to explore that I, I've heard this story I've read this story but but for the folks at home who are listening who don't know what you're talking about tell tell us about this we're, we're gonna take a t uh, uh, let's call it a two minute aside tell us about this film because I think it's kind of interesting yeah um the director Daniel O'Hara um he he wrote a great script and it, it, it's basically about an a Chinese guy who was just fed up in China, spins a glow randomly, lands on Ireland, and our national language in Ireland is Irish, Gaelic, uh, uh, which is not English with an Irish accent like Darby or Gill or something like that. Right. <laughs> it, it's completely separate, different language, a Celtic language. It'd be similar to Scottish or Welsh or, or the um, Breton, I think, in France. O old English. So instead sure. of saying. Yeah, so instead of saying hello yeah, in Irish, it's dear twitch. So that you know, that's entirely different languages. And uh, this guy uh, Yu Ming in China spins a globe, lands on the island, decides, okay, I want to emigrate to Ireland. He 
looks it up and says, okay, uh, in Ireland they speak Irish because that's our official language. He learns Irish. He comes over to Ireland and, you know, gets off the plane. Everything's still fine because all our road signs are in dual languages, so English and Irish. And Irish is top as well because it's our primary language. Then gets through to the hostel, uh, walks in the door, and then finds out no one can understand him. <laughs> and that's kind of, it, it's, a, it's a tragic comedy uh, and, and something that really touches the Irish themselves because it, it is making the, the point that this foreigner can come here, speak our, our mother tongue, as it were, and a national language, but yet he can go around Dublin and find that no one can understand him because English, you know, while it's a secondary language, it is de facto, you know, everyone speaks English almost a very, very few people can speak Irish. Um, and and a, so this this film is sort of akin to the ubiquitous sex ed film or whatever that we might watch in school. Everybody watches this film, right? Everybody, when they're in school, watches this film. Yeah, I think that the craziest thing was when um, when the Chinese prime minister came over to visit Ireland, our president gave him a copy of my film as well to, to like, oh, this is how Irish-Chinese is tied together. So, so in Ireland, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people would know of Yu Ming as Anam Dome. And, and you uh, are this protagonist, Yu Ming, so, which makes you, I think you've described it as a Z-list celebrity, uh, but people recognize you occasionally as Yu Ming. Yeah, on the streets, you still get old grannies come up, coming up to me and then speaking fluent Irish and and... Uh, I'm very sorry to like crush their dreams in that I, I'm not a fluent Irish speaker. <laughs> um, I, I'd like to say it's kind of like Mel Gibson isn't uh, fluent in Aramaic and all of that either. So <laughs> right. um, I think he just uh, wrote, went we with acted. it. We, we learned yeah. the lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, no one's going to know what I'm saying anyway. I mean, <laughs> so back to the starlight, back to the starlight. Now, now we have, we have some background. Tell us about this watch because it's 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 pretty spectacular tell us about this watch yeah and i think when i was building the starlight and seeing what to put in and, and how to how to best use the budget because you know there's always things that you would love to put in if you had the funds if you had the budget and we were working off a certain budget so we can't um you know i would love to say i would want to put in hand-finished uh, anglage and black polish and all that, but that can't happen at this particular price. So for me, it was all about making the right compromises and seeing what can be achieved with this at this particular price point and what can be achieved uh, and perhaps with the view that, you know, this is something that hasn't, this movement hasn't been used before in, I think, the, in the Western world and people are going to be naturally perhaps suspicious of a Chinese movement. Uh, so yeah. if I'm coming out with a 2,000 euro watch uh, using this with, with the lovely black polish and, and, and large, people might still say, no, it's just too, too high. So I need to build a reputation, build, you know, uh, and let, give people an opportunity to try it out and say, you know, what's the harm? Actually, a micro rotor, a, a Venturine dial. That's cool. Um, it's only well, it's only three hundred and twenty nine euros starting up that price. Well, then sure, I'll give it a try and, and gamble and, and hopefully, hopefully people who get it in hand will think it's a amazing deal because I truly do think you know I, I'm judging it 
from my viewpoint that if I was a I am a watch enthusiast, I was waiting for something like like this to come out. And because it hadn't come out in five, six, seven years, I just got tired of waiting and decided, okay, with crowdfunding, let's try and get it made by my myself. So, so what is it? I mean, what is it? I mean, we can see it. You know what it is. What, what is this watch in, you know, it, it, the 45-second the version? What is this watch? Oh, yeah. So the 45-second, it's a dress watch in a standard 38-millimeter uh, case size with uh, a venturing dial uh, and a micro-rotor on, on the back. And we have, you know, Irish. All of the text is in Irish except for the word starlight. Uh, and we have a made in Ireland hobbing leather strap as well. So we, we made it as Irish as possible right now. So for your first watch, a lot of people go uh, a, a sport watch or a dress watch or a diver or something palatable to everyone. Some Generic is maybe the word I, yeah. I think is most yeah. appropriate. You went big in the micro word, <laughs> my with a micro rotor, and then you're like, you know what? That's not big enough. Let's go aventurine too. You, you you're you're trying to pull off two really high end, really specific things all at once, and you packaged them together for this really terrific product. What what was your what was your drive to go so ambitious right out of the gate? Yeah, and I think for me, it was all about, look, I I don't think the Solas will be your one and only watch. Mm -hmm. Um, And and for me, it's when I look at my watch collection and see, well, I have a diver, I have this, I have a titanium thing, I have a meteorite, I have a, what do I not have and that I want? And I think, you know, it's actually nice to have, will be interesting to have. And hey, I don't have a micro rotor watch. I don't have something with a venturine, and and actually with a venturine is something that I had seen. Um, I I've got an Amiga Speedmaster, and I've seen that Amiga Speedmaster moon phase in a venturine, and that was beautiful. Oh, I've right. seen it in hand, so I know a venturine is beautiful, and that's why I said, okay, if the budget can allow for this, then great, I'm going to put that in. Um, and because I'm going for the kind of Henry Ford model of. Look, a lot of Kickstarters, they, they come out and they, they already have 50 different varieties and options. Mm-hmm. And that's just going to get people bogged down. And MOQs are difficult to actually meet if you have so many different varieties. Mm-hmm. So for me, I said, look, I'm just going to make one. I'm going to make one variety. You can, yeah, one variety, one choice. Uh, there won't, you know, and, and for me, I'm going to make it well. Uh, let's see what I can do with the budget. And then hopefully, I'm not trying to to make a profit from this, but actually use sustainable profits to invest on the next model as well. So, what is your thinking? To what's your what's your selling point on this? Because this is a, this is a cool watch. It's it's got a terrific dial that is really only seen in luxury watches. It's got a totally novel movement. That is also only seen in luxury watches. So, how what's your what's your pitch to people for the Starlight beyond just looking at it and saying, "Oh, cool, it's sparkly. I think I like that." What what's the pitch? Let give me the elevator, buy my watch speech. Yeah, and I think 
a lot of that by my watch speech ties into what I see um, Solas developing into because for a lot of people, they, they might be interested in that my ultimate goal is to build an affordable repeater watch as well because I want to be able to let people, you know, get their hands on watches that you see it in Kickstarter. Some of the promos, they say, this is a millionaire's watch. Um, only millionaires can afford this. And, and actually, they're not exactly millionaire watches. Right. But yeah. <laughs> with, with something like a re something like a repeater, it, it really is high-end horology. But I, I know that I think we with the right with the right um, kind of right motivations and the right uh, encouragement for the say the Chinese um, industry, they, the reason that they're not building something like this right now is because they're pretty sure that if someone builds it, they won't be able to sell it because they're just going to get poo pooed and say, oh no, the Chinese could never build something that um, yeah that that intricate or difficult at a at a lower price but i'm sure they can and, and so partially it is to try and kind of democratize these high-end complications and bring them down to a level that people can afford as well everyone can afford i also have to talk the strap real quick too yeah yeah well, before you talk oh, the strap yeah, because okay. he's Sorry. he's he's right here so i want to so i want to uh, I want to ask a kind of a specific question, and, and and this this question stems from some of the comments we've had. We've had your watch here for a couple of weeks, and we've posted it on Instagram, and we've had conversations with people about it. Um, and one of the things I notice is that there seems to be some confusion about adventuring, and I think adventuring is people look at it and they don't really know what it is. They don't really know why it's neat. Do you have? Do you think you have a uh, proverbial mountain or hill to climb in terms of convincing your average everyday affordable consumer guys like me or Andrew who buy 300 to 600 dollar watches uh, is there a hill to climb in convincing these folks that adventuring adventuring is seen in high-end watches ten thousand twenty thousand dollar watches uh and and more obviously do you have a hill to climb to convince a guy like Andrew or I, a $300, $500 consumer that adventuring special versus just sparkly, uh, you, you know? And I think that that is, I think that's a fair assessment of the opinions we've received. Is is that a challenge for you? And and how do you overcome that? Yeah, it definitely is. And, and <laughs> um, I, I think there's a, there were moments in time when I, when I think, Oh my God! Um, I I didn't give myself a big enough challenge with trying to convince people that a Chinese micro rotor would be, um, you know, won't break down the first moment you touch it. And then now I brought on this, which has been invariably described as um, like glitter paste, disco ball uh -huh. dials, and so on. And <laughs> and so you know you're entirely right in that. Generally, in in this price segment, you would never see adventuring. Um, it, it would be like if somebody just said to you, platinum is great, and, and we, we no, knew nothing about platinum, then we were like, it just looks like stainless steel. Right. Um, why, why do you think platinum is great? So, <laughs> so it, it, is, it has been difficult, uh, especially actually with all the video reviews I found. A lot of the video reviews have beautiful studio lights that light up the um, watches phenomenally well for normal dials, but for adventuring, it just... It, does 
objectively look like a disco ball then because um, those kind of harsh uh, direct lighting doesn't actually do adventuring uh, any favors, whereas naturally it, it might not be so as sparkly or, you know, as I call it, turned up to 11 on the sparkles. <laughs> and it's much more subdued. It, it looks like the night sky so, when yeah, you're in I've the mountains. Been, it, it's it's I, so I think, well balanced. I think, you know, um, I, I think for for the dial, definitely. Aventurine, it's something that in hand looks beautiful. I think it looks beautiful. But on, on video and photos, and that's where microbands are operating because we need to show people via video and by photos. It, it can be quite difficult if you can't get the photos correct. And, and even with the kind of 20s, I see on the H. Moser, uh, their, their uh, pictures of their Endeavor Aventurine model, it doesn't necessarily look great. Um, because perhaps, you know, Hodinkee didn't take a great photo of the thing because they didn't have the right lighting setup to take a good photo. Um, but I know that, you know, in hand, that Moser must look spectacular on the front and back as well. So, yes, it is difficult. Um, but I think with enough people and enough reviewers and enough people looking at it in hand and saying it looks it looks fantastic. No, despite what you might see on the on the video per se, so the camera sometimes does lie, uh, and people who are willing to give it a shot and see it in hand will will find that actually this is an amazing uh, material, a dial, and and that's why you know the AI Langlaison and Bove and so on they use it in their uber expensive watches. And, and and what about failure rates? I mean, you've done the the other aspect to this is that you've picked two materials and and material not not you've picked two features, right? So both the movement and you know and and uh, forgive me for saying I don't have any familiarity with the 5000A Hangzhou movement uh and, and nobody else does either. But I assume that you've got a relatively high error rate. And and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But also, I know Aventurine has a relatively high failure rate. So how do you compensate for those in a package that's coming in and under, you know, r really, your your long-term plans, I think, are about 550 euro. Um, but, but for now, under 400 euro. How do you compensate for those relatively high error rates in both Aventurine and the 5000A? And again, feel free to correct me on the Hangzhou movement. Yeah, um, actually, on the error rate uh, for the the movement itself, we we haven't been finding that. And really? um, when I when I speak to PTS, uh, who are the the official agents and actually the partial owners of Hangzhou Watch Factory as well, they they have sold a few of these movements out to be well, more than a few. They've had normal uh, failure rates, so that that is what we've. Um, Though, I, though I've given a bit more margin as well in terms of planning to, to in case there are any service or uh, servicing issues, we we can handle that within our budget and our pricing point. The adventuring, the adventuring, yes, um, it is. Uh, I, I like to joke that you know if you look at the Moser, uh, they only have two holes cut out into the dial because adventuring is a is a glass is effectively a one millimeter slice of glass. Uh, stuck onto a maybe a 0.2 millimeter copper plate, and, and it, it can crack easily. And when we manufacture the dials, I think out of every 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 12, we get maybe four dial cracks. 
uh, and we need to drill about 27 holes into that dial instead of uh, Moses 2. So it, it is something that um, we, it, it is built into the budget and, and wow. we have, uh, and our, my, my factory partner, they're confident that at these, um, at, at the current prices that we're offering it at, they they can still offer, they can have a kind of a wear rate of having four dials crack out of every 12 to 14 that they make. 30, 33% or so. Yeah, wow. it's, it is, it, it's not an easy material to work with. So, <laughs> so we've got the starlight in front of us. Do you think you could clue us in on the additional two ideas you've got pending? Yeah, um, so, somewhat, uh, because it, it's a lot more than just two, uh, because I, I've found, you know, just in the last while as well, I've been enjoying this so much and uh, having having the freedom to think about the designs and what the new things will come uh, what new things I want to see that isn't being done. So nothing that I think Solas will be doing will be seen before or at least seen before in the affordables arena. And um, so I, I actually have a kind of effectively a six year plan now because, you know, people know I've been saying it all the time. My, my ultimate goal is to make uh, an affordable repeater watch. That's kind of at the end of six years. But for every year, I've already been designing um, and actually uh, uh, designing different watches that I feel I would, as a watch enthusiast, love to add to my collection as well, in addition to all the watches I already have. So, you know, the first one wasn't a diver. The second one will be um, will be diver based, yes, but yes, something please. that you won't have seen. Please, it's um, exciting. It, it is exciting because it, you know, I think something that's going to be more of a, a trademark for Solace would be uh, interesting dials. Uh, the dial materials will always be something out of the ordinary, and we we don't expect to be using you know painted brass dials uh, and materials as well. So different materials for the case and bracelet outside of the kind of the titanium outside of the carbon forged carbon all of that there are other materials which i find have you know practical uses f um for dive watches for example or or desk divers it, it occurs to me uh and and this may be an insensitive question andrew you can feel free to kick me under the table but it occurs to me that there's the possibility that exists that you're approaching this uh, this venture as a as a ethnically Chinese person living in the Western world, and uh, whether or not that's true or not, I'm going to let you expound on. But is that? Do you think that that's part of your approach to this? I think that the, the way your brand sounds is very much in tune with what I know about what Siegel brings to us. When when we see Siegel watches, we see these very sort of not ornate necessarily, but very sort of hot horology ideas and concepts and philosophies in in a package that is not um, marked up, marked up in a way that that we'd experience with H Moser or uh, H Moser, as you said, or uh, perhaps you know one of these one of these heritage Swiss brands or something. Is is that something? Am I hitting something there, or uh, am I imagining all of this? 
No, I think you're definitely right. I like to think of um, uh, now very very presumptuously to to say kind of to to draw a comparison to like SpaceX and Elon Musk, where his goal and his dream is to get people to Mars, and that's my, my goal is to get that affordable repeater to into people's hands, and I see you know I see the Starlight as kind of my you know. Falcon 9, the starting off rocket, because he looked at the, the market and said, you know, why can't rockets come back and land? Um, and people thought he was, that's crazy. And I was just saying, well, why can't we have a, you know, affordable micro rotor? I've been waiting so long. Hangzhou, they build this movement. Um, uh, it functions perfectly well. Um, it's not going to fall apart. And it, it actually took a bit of investigation to see why no one was building that affordable micro rotor. And, and the reason apparently was that it's easier to make money from a Seiko diver. Yeah, so why yeah. would you, as a micro brand, why would you take the risk and build something where you have to get lot less margins? And I can, I can understand because I, I listened to your um, podcast with uh, Mark from Long Island Watch and he said, you know, it would be wrong to expect people to be altruistic and yeah. um, to not want to make a profit and so on. But but equally, there are people who are maybe maybe more altruistic and said, actually, I just want to make a nice thing. And I want it to I want to I want people to be able to have that nice thing. You know, it's all part of the goal that if I can reach that affordable uh, repeater watch for people, hey, in the end, I might decide to just sell it at cost, well, not at cost, at no profit. So, you know, it covers off the other servicing or something. Because something like that, I want people to have in their hands and enjoy. Um, it, it's not necessarily about profits for me. I, I want one. So, the details. Where, when, how, how much, expected delivery dates, when are we going live, give, give, give it all to me. Um, so we are launching on October 15th at 3 p.m. Irish time. That's GMT plus one. Uh, I, I chose a time that would, I think, cover at 12 o'clock midnight in Australia and 7 a.m. in California. To, so sorry about the people in New Zealand um, <laughs> and Alaska. But uh, most of the world should be awake at that point. No one needs to be crawling up at 3 a.m. in the morning for the time. Uh, we will have a number of watches from 329 euro uh, plus shipping to 399, and you know it is exactly the same model. So the the sooner you pack, the sooner you back, the better price you'll get at that. Even though it's funny because at 399, I still think it's amazing value because I do truly when I say uh, a kind of ultimate retail price of maybe 550 euro mm -hmm. i feel like that would be a natural actual retail price for it and this yeah. this truly is a kickstarter price that will enable people to kickstart solas as a brand uh, so i'm not trying to make much profits from this i'm trying to get the brand kickstarted uh, along with this kind of ambitious first model so that's a price the time and um, one of the things that we've done to try and um, make backers feel comfortable in backing this, and this is not vaporware or, or just merely a 3D render of things that will all change in time. I have all the all the cases have been 
polished and are ready to go. The dials have been all ordered into the factories. And really, um, as, as I've been saying, uh, the backers here for this campaign will be helping me finish the project, not begin the project, uh, because the funding here will be coming to, the funding will be used to kind of get the movements in and do the final assembly. When do you when do you anticipate we, when do you anticipate shipping these watches? Yeah, and because we have these components already in now, uh, we should be able to keep to our timeline as well. Because and that's something that's very important to me. So the timeline expected delivery date would be May slash June of twenty twenty one. Wonderful, you know, wonderful COVID nineteen, um, right? Yeah. With that, uh, anyway. Yeah, we so, we've we've talked so about think, that a bunch, right? How this this COVID nineteen has been a serious hindrance for folks like yourself, right? Which are in sort of the opening throes of of initiating a brand. So, uh, totally great. Uh, we are we are going to probably shift over I here. I have one more question. Oh my gosh, where else are people going to be able to find you? Photographs of the watches, and anything about the brand beyond Kickstarter. Mm. Yeah, so if you go on to uh, .com, uh you'll be able to find, we, we've put up the links to every single review, interview, uh, hands-on, um, and, and people can just click on that and, and get into directly into the video reviews or the photos or the written articles about the, uh, the watch as well. One, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so we are going to transition now, um, which is in, into our favorite segment of the day, which is our other things, uh, which is always just something else you're into. Uh, so I know we didn't we didn't prep you on this, but you're going to have about eight minutes starting it right now to come up with some other thing. Um, Andrew, I know you've got something. What do you got? I have got something. And it's not <laughs> what we talked about already. Okay. I recently acquired a blend tech. A blend tech. Yeah. I joined the 21st century of blenders. Do it. And I don't know what took me so long. Mostly because yeah. I was like, a blender's a fucking blender, right? It is. No, yes. it's just not. Yeah. A blender it, is not, not just a blender. Yeah. Uh, you guys have a ninja, don't you? We have a ninja. Yes. Yeah. So we got the blend tech. And I've, I've got a couple of friends who have blend techs. And we, you know, I've, I've looked at them and I'm like, it's a fucking blender. Yeah. I don't get it. Got one for my wife's birthday for her. I I mean, so we acquired a Blendtec. <laughs> I I've only observed her using it, but I have to say, it's worth it. I got a refurbished off the Amazon because these things aren't exactly cheap, right? Even refurbished, they're not exactly cheap. Yeah, that's right. But uh, so so I picked up a refurbished off of the Amazon, and it looks totally brand new. I've bought some other refurbished products, and I'm like, this wasn't fucking refurbished. This is just used. This looked brand new, came with stickers, papers, warranty, the whole the whole bit. And it is amazing. Yeah. It's got all these presettings. You just push the button and it runs its cycle and it does its thing. And and like I've I've just never seen anything destroy ice so effectively. Yeah. We we we'd be drinking margaritas. Man. I've never seen anything destroy an iPhone so effectively. You know, I also got a new iPhone this week because I I couldn't <laughs> deal you with put like, the old one in the blunt tech. I should. Yeah, you should. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> I got to check resale value on it before I do that. But I'm we, we may we may have a forty and twenty iPhone destruction video coming your way. Uh, but yeah, check out Blendtex. If you guys are still using like the Black and Decker blender you got for your wedding ten years ago, maybe consider an upgrade. Well, so right, there's like three brands, right? There's 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 Blendtec, which is famous for its infomercial type marketing. There's mm-hmm. there's Vitamix, Vitamix, which and, is sort of the gold standard Karen version. Yeah, a- and then there is Ninja, which I think is more of like the middle class Costco shopper. I think I think Ninja is. Uh, I, th- I remember seeing ninjas and Vitamixes on opposing corners of a Costco. That's right. That's right. So these yeah. two, I mean, Vitamix is sort of the 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 high end version. Ninja is sort of the affordable version. And, and there's probably compromises in there. What I, you know, what I like about the Blendtec is the blade is not sharp. Oh yeah, my it's, my Ninja is sharpish. I've cut myself it, on it. It's it's not sharp. It just it's it uses just brute force and repetition, <laughs> uh, which I like. That's kind of my that style for style, solving totally. problems. Uh, it's not sharp, so I don't cut myself. And I've cut myself on every blender and food processor blade I own, even the ones that have never been in the food processor. When reaching into the little storage yeah. compartment, I've cut myself. I've been yeah. like, oh, I just cheese grated my finger and I don't use cheese grater in this in this food processor. Why do I even have this disc of like just 75 blades? You, you know, that that is very much your style. I remember when I had that uh that old shot that old shotgun and I said, Andrew, I've got some problem. You know guns. How do I fix this? And you said, We can do it. It's always, it's always brute force and repetition. And yeah. three hours later, brute force and repetition got us there. It got us there. Really yeah. did. So yeah, totally your style. I've got another thing. Do and me. this is a this is not a weird one for what we do. I just think it's a weird one because I'm I'm gonna recommend something. I'm gonna recommend something, but it's something I didn't love. I've done things I hated before. I don't hate it. Mm. I'm fully recommending it, but with that, with that touch of with a touch of so it's kind of the way i recommend this podcast it's a (laughs) that's fair this is a movie it's a movie i saw on netflix and i think it's a netflix original which you know i never know what that means is this something that got made and because of a lack of marketability it got sold to to netflix i don't know i don't know if netflix made this i wish netflix was more transparent in their things that they've funded and developed versus things that they bought i'm not sure it makes any sense for them to do so but i I like a netflix exclusive versus a netflix original because i think they do do that you just have to know the vernacular. No, because um, Meat Eater is a is a show that is not a Netflix original, and it 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 shows as a Netflix original. Oh, it's just not an original. Okay. Well, and, so I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is original or like if this is organic, native to Netflix, or if it's something they purchased. But it's a movie called The Devil All the Time. Uh, it, it's a Netflix movie. It's got fantastic actors in it. Uh, actors and and actresses, if you prefer that vernacular, I just say actors. Uh, and, and I'm going to name off a bunch of men, but the the women in this are fantastic as well. It's got Tom Holland, it's got Robert Pattinson, Robert Pattinson, Patterson, Pattinson. It's got Bill Skarsgård, who was uh, Pennywise famously most recently. It's got uh, Harry Melling, who is famously uh, Dudley Dursley. It's got Jason Clark. Uh, and, and some others, right? I, I'm not naming all the people you would know. The acting in this movie is fantastic. What I will tell you about this movie is it's not happy. There is not a single moment of joy in this movie. Uh, it, it is miserable from start to finish. And when I say miserable, I don't mean Requiem for a Dream miserable, right? This is not going to make you 
develop suicidal tendencies. Uh, I never felt bad watching it, uh, but it is a like it's not a happy movie. It's a miserable movie. But the District a- Nine. It, what's that? Like District Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little different, but yes. <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah, I uh, I loved it. I loved it, and I'll tell you why I loved it. The acting in this movie is some of the best acting I have seen in a movie in years. Every single performance is fucking tits. Every single one of them. So uh, Harry Melling, Dudley Dursley, right? Not someone I think of as being a standout actor. And he was incredible. Without any reservation, his performance in this movie is absolutely spot on. Spot on. Uh, Similarly, Robert Pattinson, Twilight, right? I think people are uh grown all you hunk, want so he what's that he's a hunk i mean I don't know he's, he's a hunk. people are jealous he is amazing the the performances in this movie are totally wonderful now you're not gonna watch this movie and feel joy are you gonna watch this movie and feel exhausted like just want to curl up with a bottle of wine and no, go to bed? no but that's that's my point right it is not requiem for a dream it is not gonna make you feel bad it is it is from start to finish watchable totally watchable you want to keep watching it's just not you don't ever have that moment of relief like oh okay this is worth it right that never comes but the performances are phenomenal i i I think it's the best showcase of acting i've seen in years years it is incredible so i'm going to fully recommend it did you watch the new rambo uh (laughs) It was slightly better than that. It was really <laughs> close, but slightly better than that. So, uh, uh, The Devil All the Time is the name of the movie. You can find it on Netflix right now. Uh, do watch it. So, so, so good. You did not do a good job selling it. <laughs> do you? Other things. What do you got, man? Yeah, well, first I want to say, um, you know, with that endorsement of Robert Patterson, you know, do you have high hopes for him in Batman then? I have you know, high hopes. I, ha- I have high hopes. And I think and I think that's a hot take, but I do have high hopes. I just want to see him without a shirt on. That is that will <laughs> meet the requirement. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I also want to say to Andrew that please don't try um, a blend uh, uh, Starlight. I'm pretty sure it will blend. Oh, I won't. No, not definitely not the Starlight. We have sent at back every watch that we've ever been uh, ever been lucky enough to handle. With some reticence for some of them. Yeah, much. And this will be among them. Though I, I would be interested to see that tungsten rotor go into the blender because it is, you know, tungsten, I think it's, about the same density as depleted uranium. So yeah. if it can blend that rotor, micro rotor, then actually that would be pretty impressive. I have a tungsten All wedding right, ring. We'll do, it. we'll do it. We'll send you the video. I have a tungsten <laughs> wedding ring. We'll just see which one wins. <laughs> well, um, so yeah, my other thing that I'm, I'm thinking about, I think would be actually, it's one of the only other mechanical things that we I use in this digital age. And I like having, uh, I have mechanical keyboards, so, and uh, made in K- Kentucky as well uh, with the Unicomp, which is based yes. on the old IBM models. Yes, sir. Um, so proudly made in the USA, and it's a joy to type on. Um, and actually, something that, uh, because of the working from home, something that I got my wife into as well now, so now 
she types on a mechanical keyboard and says she can't go back typing on her laptop with a tiny little travel bit. Um, so I, I think, you know, for me, if it's something that you use every day for your work, then why not get something that feels wonderful and is, it works well, uh, feels good to type on instead of, you know, the, the standard office $10 Dell or HP keyboard that you have. You know, I think it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting uh, interplay between mechanical watches and mechanical keyboards, right? With membrane keyboards, we can do all the things, and certainly every single keyboard that you might buy at um, a big box store, they're they're membrane based keyboards. By and large, electronic sort of feedback. Um. But once you start to get into mechanical keyboards, there's this sort of joy that is elicited um, by way of the functionality. And you've talked a little bit about the soul of a mechanical watch. We've talked about that on the show. Obviously, no watches have a soul, but there's the same sort of feeling when you a mechanical keyboard, right? I've got I've got a I've got a, a key it's mechanism. A that I have that I have researched and I understand what it means and I can I can really sort of tailor in the feedback I want the response the mm -hmm. the click the feel you know if you want something with high tactile response you can do that if you want something that makes a loud noise or versus a quiet noise you can really get it to where you want it in this anachronistic way just like mechanical watches right and so I'm surprised that we don't see more uh, of a crossover between mechanical watch lovers and mechanical keyboard lovers. I think there's a, I think there's a closeted key or a crossover there. You know, my, my one of the worst sounds on the planet to me though is a a woman with long acrylic nails typing on a mechanical <laughs> keyboard. That is that to me is a, very specific. That's a sound that could kill me. <laughs> so so what do you what do you rock on? What's your what's your mechanical keyboard of choice these days? Yeah, um, so, you know, at home I have my Unicomp, which um, is very loud and not suitable for the office environment at all, unless you want to, you know, have your colleagues want to kill you. We're uh, talking about so like MX home, Cherry Blues in that thing, right? Oh, that's, um, the Unicomp uses the original IBM style buckling spring. And actually it is a membrane keyboard, but it's a mechanical membrane keyboard. So it has that membrane underneath, but it doesn't use a little rubber domes that you have in the $10 cheap keyboard. Uh -huh. But uh, I think they call it like catastrophically uh, buckling compression springs or some that kind of <laughs> weird name that they have. And it's a grandfather, granddaddy of all keyboards because the layout that was first used in that Model, model M is what no, you know, keyboards look like nowadays. Um, and and Unicomp, their very interesting history, uh, they bought out, well, you know, they're kind of leftovers of the IBM keyboard uh, factory, which was bought out by Lexmark and then bought out by the employees. And they kept on making these keyboards. So, you know, they they, you know, they provide great service. I really enjoyed their keyboard, got it all the way from the US. Um, for the for the office, I have something that's a bit more quiet, but still mechanical, which is a quieter keyboard. So uh, colleagues won't be disturbed as much. I, I just got it sent to me and then the lockdown happened in Dublin. So we had to go back to w working at home. But, you know, that uh, that's what I have in it's a Roma G, which if people oh, know yeah. mechanical keyboards will groan out loud because they will say, oh, that, that's the worst possible tactile feel <laughs> for this kind of keyboard. But the, the benefit is that 
at least it still feels like mechanical and it's quiet so so people aren't all looking around at you as you're typing away in the office you know i think Um, i think with mechanical keyboards one thing people don't realize i think that if you are uninitiated and you start to research mechanical keyboards it can feel very much like if you got into watches by way of reading like the seiko mod modders subforum on watch you seek or something right i think for the uninitiated it can feel like in order to get into this hobby you have to be willing to spend you know, $600 on various parts and ordering from China and um, this or that in order to do this thing. But I think what what a lot of people don't realize is there's an incredible market of pre-mades. Um, there's an incredible market of, of um, rel- relatively easy entry points. You, you know, you've got, uh, you've got Unicomp, which is a great example, but there's also DOS, which is this famous... Uh, you, you know, brand that makes these things, you can get in to mechanical keyboards without uh, spending a fortune and or uh, w- without having to learn how to build a keyboard. You know, there's no soldering um, for, for most people who enter this, but I think it's a little bit hard to understand that when you get into it. So um, I would love to say we're going to put show notes in for various models. We're not going to do that. We're so. not. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so, but but just if you're interested, there are entry points. Feel free to hit me up. I'll I'll, I'll give you some information, uh, and perhaps DU will give you some information if 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 you're interested in more of the sort of traditional Unicomp style. Um, with that, with that, I'm gonna say DU. We're gonna close. Is there anything you want to say to the folks before we do go for the day? Yeah. Um. I think you know. First of all, thank you very much again for having me on the show. Uh, and and I want to say to the people who are listening that, you know, do do check out uh, Starlight and, and see, it, not not every brand um, is using Kickstarter in a right way, but I think hopefully we are in that you will be literally kickstarting the brand, and that is why we've priced things the way we've priced it, and that's why we try to um, give you deliver as much watch as possible at this particular price point um which is also in line with my uh, vision and 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 ideals and goals uh, and to develop solas as a brand as well 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 wonderful we really appreciate you coming on uh i I can't i can't emphasize that enough uh andrew before we go is there anything you'd like to add i'm done man i'm all out you're (laughs) you're all out of love i'm all out of things you're so lost without me yeah so lost without you Dio, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, do check out Solace Watches. Uh, we'll, we'll have some links in the show notes. Uh, and thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Uh, feel free to check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20. You can also check out Solace Watches at Solace Watches on Instagram. Uh, check out their Kickstarter. Check out their website. All the information is there. If you'd like to support what we're doing here, watch be it watch clicker or be it 40 and 20 you can do so at patreon.com slash 40 and 20 again we really appreciate all the help we get there because uh, it makes this thing happen don't forget to check us out next thursday for another hour of watches food drinks life and other things we like bye-bye <laughs>